This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 6, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Barack Obama will have the dubious distinction of serving as president during a time of unceasing war. First Iraq and Afghanistan, then Pakistan, Libya, Syria, and others. Ben Friedman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We talked about all of Obama's wars. In retrospect, I think people tend to overestimate his dovishness at the time. His stance was that the war in Afghanistan, which of course was also ongoing, was being neglected by the Bush administration's focus on Iraq. But Obama inherited the Bush administration's plan to withdraw from Iraq, which was ongoing when he took office and he continued it. In retrospect, there's also a lot of criticism of how that process was handled, but the fact remains that he continued the Bush administration's uh, policies there. Uh, Drone strikes at the time uh, were limited, uh, at least relatively speaking, they were limited, uh, taking place mostly in Pakistan. Uh, and Obama has vastly increased the number of drone strikes and the locations where they're taking place to include Somalia and uh, Yemen at a much greater clip along with Pakistan. So uh, to the extent that uh, President Obama viewed Iraq as the bad war and Afghanistan as the, the worthy, the good war, um, to what extent did he deviate really from the Bush administration policies when Bush left office with respect to getting out of Iraq? The Bush administration's plan was to uh, gradually withdraw from Iraq. However, they were attempting to negotiate an agreement to keep some number of troops there. The Obama administration's plan was the exact same thing. The negotiations failed. Uh, the negotiation for what's called a status of forces agreement that would have kept U.S. forces free from Iraqi law and so forth. And uh, some people say, well, the Obama administration didn't try hard enough to cut that deal. Uh, That's debatable, but the point is that the path that the Obama administration followed in Iraq was at at least the one that the Bush administration said it was going to follow. And the, the Bush administration had resisted sending a lot more troops to Afghanistan, uh, and the Obama administration, of course, had immediately sent, I think, not immediately, it was was, uh, a year into office or so, sent 17,000 extra troops to Iraq and then to Afghanistan, excuse me, and then subsequently had a surge of, uh, I think, about 50,000 troops to Afghanistan, which in retrospect, I think, proved to be a massive mistake. In addition to the two wars that uh, President Obama inherited, that is Iraq and Afghanistan, he undertook several other things that were not approved by Congress and were not characterized broadly by his own administration as wars. Yes. The war in Libya is the main one, I think, uh, where there was no congressional authorization and the United States led from behind airstrikes there uh, that overthrew Gaddafi, of course, in 2011. Uh, It was authorized by the UN Security Council, the action there, but not the United States Congress. And to avoid triggering the War Powers Act, the Obama administration uh, called that intervention a kinetic military action rather than a war, uh, because if they said it was a war, then they would have to say, well, it qualifies under the War War Powers Resolution and we have to uh, notify Congress and so forth, and uh, Congress is then supposed to vote. So the, rather than do that, they just said, "Well, it's, we'll make up another noun." And 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 you know the the Secretary of Defense at the time, Gates, uh, 
couldn't even get that phrase out without laughing. Yeah, he was he was on one of the Sunday talk shows and sort of was clearly unconvinced by the legal maneuvering and said, well, I, I suppose that if you're on the ground being bombed, it sure looks like a war. So it wasn't uh, much of a feint to the process, uh, the uh, to the legal process. On the other hand, the, the Congress just doesn't care. I mean, the, the war in Libya, I think, because it cost almost nothing, I think $2 billion, which was paid for out of existing Pentagon money, so there was not even an appropriation from Congress, let alone an authorization. Uh, and no one, no Americans were killed executing those airstrikes. So the public uh, was not deeply interested, and neither was Congress. And then, of course, on top of that, we had the intervention in Syria, which extended out of the continued war in Iraq, which never quite ended uh, with the rise of ISIS, uh, and Congress has never authorized those airstrikes either, the ones in Syria and now Iraq. And there was a point at which, in, in the Obama administration, when he asserted uh, the power to go to Syria without any congressional approval whatsoever, but he, in his own wisdom, had decided, no, we're not going to do that. Right. So before the intervention in Syria uh, occurred to combat ISIS, there was the moment when the Assad regime's use of chemical weapons uh, had crossed the infamous red line that the president had mentioned. And so there was a big push to bomb them uh, as a punitive measure. And uh, Obama asserted, as you say, that the United States, the government could bomb uh, without congressional authorization, but then said, well, I'm going to go get it anyway. And at the, it seemed for a moment that Congress was going to vote down uh, the authority, but the Russians intervened and cut a deal based on a perhaps offhand comment that John Kerry had made about a the possibility for a deal, and uh, the Assad regime agreed to get rid of its chemical weapons, so we avoided bombing them uh, at that time. And then as things have evolved, although we won't quite admit it, we're in a sense on the regime's side now and going after uh, ISIS, which is their enemy too. How many wars does Barack Obama leave behind, both uh, active and uh, those that have concluded? Well, active, there are, there are now six countries that the United States is at war in. I think it's fair to say that one of them, or two of the countries, is one war, which is Iraq and Syria. So that's two countries. And then you have Yemen, Afghanistan, Somalia, where we've recently stepped up our intervention uh, using both drone strikes and uh, special operations forces. Now Libya where uh, we've been bombing an ISIS affiliate, uh, again, using both conventional air power and drones, and Pakistan. And Pakistan is the maybe now because we have not had a strike of any kind in Pakistan since the spring. So it's coming up on a year, so maybe we could take Pakistan off the list, in which case it's only six countries. And there, there are also some special operations forces doing uh, things against the Lord's Resistance Army still in areas of Africa. So there are different ways to count, but I think you know a fair count is six or seven these days. One thing I would add is that a lot of people describe an Obama doctrine where you have a limited liability attempt to alter facts on the ground in these different countries, which is to say very little tolerance for risk, either using simply airstrikes, drones, or 
bomber aircraft and uh, potentially some special operations forces or U.S. military forces who are supposed to avoid direct combat. And the Obama doctrine would be a fairly robust presence around the world to go after terrorism in particular, but not much tolerance for risk. And I think that is, in many ways, the legacy of this administration, a, a great appetite for having wars, but an incredibly, or at least historically limited appetite for taking risks in executing those wars. And what I would say about the Obama doctrine is it's maybe more a sign of the times than the particular preferences of this administration. This administration embraced the broad set of objectives that are the objectives around the world to do transformative things that are embraced really by the foreign policy establishment in D.C. Even getting out of Iraq and Afghanistan, the Obama administration said, well, we're achieving what we wanted so we can leave. So they kind of got themselves caught there because they were both declaring victory and saying we can leave. And so when things didn't go well, they kind of got pulled back in. But uh, they embraced these broad objectives, but at the same time, they're dealing with the public that, while it's frightened of ISIS and terrorism and so forth, is not supportive of a big war like we had in Iraq and in like the height of the war in Afghanistan, the public's against a big ground war. So you have a sort of dualism where we uh, try to do a lot of things, but to uh, in all sorts of countries, even transformative things, but we're not willing to invest a great deal of risk in uh, executing those wars. So we're involved in a lot of places without effort without great commitment. And I think that is really a, something that's common to uh, the country, or at least the political elite in D.C., and therefore is likely to continue, that it wasn't just Obama, who I think in his second term pr proved to be something closer to the dove that he campaigned at, as than, um, than he was in his first term. But so we'll, I think we'll, unfortunately, in my view, are likely to continue down this road of sort of a lot of small wars with the Congress that's more or less disinterested uh, into the Trump administration, but we'll see. But, and it's, it's an interesting, uh, maybe paradox is the wrong word, but had President Obama in a lot of these campaigns shown more commitment or a willingness to engage in risk and a willingness to engage in Congress, perhaps we'd be at war in fewer countries. Right. I mean, the, it's the avoidance of risk that in some way makes it politically tolerable or at least keeps the apathy high enough that, that it, it can be uh, continued, at least without greater investment of troops. But the problem is that, you know, you don't succeed very easily just through drone strikes. I mean, in certain situations, the Libya ISIS affiliate might be one of them, you can probably destroy a terrorist organization through airstrikes alone. But in the majority of situations, in the majority of terrorist organizations that we've been attacking, al-Qaeda or ISIS affiliates, or the main ISIS, airstrikes themselves are not sufficient, probably. And, that, and so the ability to attack with drone strikes, where you have no real uh, risk to American troops, in some ways lets you get involved in a conflict with, without letting you win it. So drones and these long-reach technologies arguably are better at getting you into wars than settling them. And I think the, the problem is then that we wind up with the question of whether or not we escalate. So we get sucked in, we don't resolve the problem, and then we either quit or escalate. And I notice, with the possible exception of Pakistan, which we'll see uh, what happens there, we haven't left 
any of the countries where we've been doing drone strikes. In other words, we start doing drone strikes in places and they just seem to continue, uh, which at least suggests to me the possibility that they don't work well enough to leave so that we just get more involved and the more we attack people with drone strikes, the more targets we find and it's sort of a self-perpetuating process. Ben Friedman is a research fellow in Homeland Security Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.